Welcome to Fancon Upfront Live, an audio file for audio files. Today is Monday, October 16th, 2023. Thank you all for tuning into this program. I am your host, Frank Franklin. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you who are joining me on this podcast. I hope that you all enjoy your stay here and that you find something of meaning and value in my message. This week's topic, what exactly is an out-of-body experience? So now, have you ever heard of someone who said that when they were in hospital or when they were unconscious, whatever the case may be, that they found themselves floating or levitating above their their bodies, their human body, their fleshly body. That they find themselves levitating above their fleshly body. They say that they see doctors and nurses and relatives and loved ones surrounding their bedside working on them pumping epinephrine in their hearts whether two cc's four cc's whatever it is to try and shock the heart back into beating and they see all the commotion they hear all the screaming and the way that movies depict the out-of-body experience scenes is that you hear a you hear hollow commotions, hollow screaming, fading away in the background as the person drifts away from this life, or so they think. When they drift away, they see dead relatives, dead friends, dead inspiration sources, celebrities, whatever it is. Maybe a dead pet, a dog or a cat or something. And they see maybe like an aunt or a grandmother or something like that. And they say that they are so overcome by a euphoric sense of love and safety and acceptance and connection and belonging. And the love is so euphoric and so overwhelmingly pure and benevolent that they never wish to return to this fleshed world ever again and that is usually when their grandmother somebody for them interject and say it's not your time yet you have to go back i hate to be the bearer of bad news but you have to go back you have things to do things to finish you have purposes to fulfill It's not your time yet, you have to go back. And it's usually very heartbreaking. The person feels deep, intense sense of emotions. They embrace, they cry, and then they fade away, and the next thing you know, we're back to the hospital scene again. (laughs) We're back to the hospital scene again. Or we're back to the street side with the paramedics or the doctors working on you and pumping epinephrine into your heart and trying to bring you back and trying to shock your heart with a defibrillator to bring you back and you wake up and you start coughing and then 
you're like, oh my God, I'm back. I'm back to this shithole again. What the hell was I thinking? All the mundane all over again. I was in the perfect utopia. And he hates all the doctors and nurses and the relatives for pulling him out of his euphoric state because he doesn't want to come back to this fleshed materialistic world from all the euphoric spiritual love that he was feeling in the afterlife. Well, that's what they call an out-of-body experience or an OBE for short. So if you hear me say OBE, I'm not talking about the order of the British Empire. I'm talking about the out-of-body experience. Alright, so so what causes that? Were they hallucinating? Did the drugs cause them to hallucinate? You know, they put certain drugs into your into your intravenous needle. They pump it into your veins into they, they pump it into your veins through this thing called an IV, intravenous IV. And or it could be the actual epinephrine that they used to shock your heart back into beating again whatever it is it could be a combination of a multitude of different drugs a multitude but whatever it is it could just be that they're just hallucinating the drugs made them hallucinate you know you have skeptics who are like that who are like oh out of body experience where do we go anyways like there is no afterlife when we die we black out just cease to exist we don't have any consciousness it's the death of our consciousness as well as our bodies and then, well, then how do you explain an out-of-body experience? Well, you know, I think they're probably just hallucinating on drugs. The, 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 the medication in the hospital makes them hallucinate and they don't know what they saw. Right? And even if that's true, don't be a callous dick. Have some respect for other people's experiences. Don't invalidate what they went through. Don't invalidate what they went through. Don't be a dick about it. Actually respect people's, um, you know, what they went through. People's experiences. So I am here on this program willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know you saw something. He who feels it knows it. You know you saw something. You know what you felt. You know what you saw. But then again, you're going to be like, Mr. Franklin, you said yourself on this program that Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 said the living and know that they'll die but the dead know nothing. So if they're not dead themselves, how do they see their dead relatives? Who did they see? Well, they saw something. Who did they see? That's what we're trying to find out now. Did they see their dead relatives? And friends? And dogs and cats? The school teachers, all these people, you know, people who inspire them? Did they see any of those people? Or did they see shapeshifters in the spirit world masquerading as their relatives? Because after all, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 actually debunks your access to actual dead spirits still dwelling in the living. So where did you go and how could you come back if you went to the afterlife? You can't come back. The dead knows nothing. How could you come back? Ah, there's where it gets tricky now because you know you saw something. You know what you felt. You know what you felt. You know who you saw. But if the Bible is correct, then 
souls who are dead you can't see them in this world and if you go to their world you can't come back you're trapped in limbo or you're trapped on their side so what happened what is an out-of-body experience ponder on that thought for a moment we'll take a break right here and when we come back we'll be getting further into that topic of discussion and i hope you'll join me then keep it locked on fact on a front Welcome back to Frank on the Front Live and all their files for all their files. This week's topic What is an out of body experience? I would like to welcome Cap to the live studio. Welcome, welcome. We're talking about the out of body experience. If you've had an out of body experience, feel free to call the show. Let us know your story. So, in the previous segment, I was talking about how is it that one is able to visit with dead relatives during the, the very few moments in which they leave their body, astral project as it were. If in fact the Bible says that the living know that they'll die but the dead knows nothing. It's either you meet them in their world or they meet you in, 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 your, in, in our world, in the living here. So. What happened? The dead, according to the Bible, the dead can't visit our world. Even though there's spirits in this world, we get to that later. But they're not spirits who once lived and are now dead. We'll get to that later. So then, is it that you visit their world, the afterlife? And if so, how did you come back to this life? Is it that once you get to the afterlife, you can't ever come back? You're um, trapped there forever? Or is it that the two of you met somewhere in limbo, in no man's land? They met you halfway. Could there be a no man's land in the, in the spirit world? Well, the lack of land, of course, no man's realm. Land is a form of matter. The opposite of matter is space. So then therefore no man's realm, whatever it is. Or is it that the skeptic who believe that they were hallucinating off the meds, that they're correct after all. It's really just a, a trip, if you were. Similar to an LSD acid trip, not to take away from the experience of those who have lived an out-of-body experience. All right, we have entered, 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 has entered the live studio. Welcome. Can I call you entered or enter? If you have an out-of-body experience you want to share, call the show. Feel free. Well, let me tell you what I think it might be. I have a couple of theories as to who you could have spoken to in, in the spirit world. Assuming, of course, that it's not a dream. You really did enter the spirit world and speak to spirits. It could just be shapeshifters. So, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 warns people to be careful of spiritual shapeshifters who can mimic the face and voice of your deceased loved ones. That is that that is to say that that's all they can mimic. They're limited to mimicking only the face and voice of your deceased loved ones. They cannot mimic 
their spiritual blueprints, their essence, what makes them who they were or are. And that's how you know their phone is. Even if they can spy on you and they have knowledge of the things you did and therefore they can remember, quote unquote remember, those events accurately, they still don't have that person's spirit. And that's what you look out for, the spirit. So you have organic souls and you have inorganic souls. Over the last two shows, we spoke about a theory I have that we may be living in a solipsistic universe. A universe where there's only a handful of sentient beings. There is you, the one who is experiencing your life, the main character of your story. There is your main antagonist because there can be no story without conflict. So there is your main challenger, your main antagonist. It could be a person, it could be a series of events. Assuming it is a person, that's another sentient being in the solipsistic universe. And then there's your love interest, the person you're fighting for because you love them. And then your main antagonist has a handful of henchmen. And you have, not henchmen, you don't have henchmen. What you have are your brothers, your supporters. People who are other sentient beings who feel just like yourself. And then you have the mindless automatons. That's everybody else in the world. Everybody else in the world. They have no soul. Those are your inorganic souls. They have is ego. They have no soul. They have no sense of direction. So they have to follow as pawns because they're pawns. They really are pawns. So as pawns now, they really have to, they have, they have no choice but to follow either the benevolent side or the malevolent side of the war. It, it really is a war. There can be no story without conflict. There can be no love without having something to fight for, you know? And so as pawns, they can be manipulated to join either side, good or bad. And quite often they choose the dark side because it makes them feel more comfortable because they're nobody. They have no sentient souls. And the dark side often have sentient souls and deny having souls in favor of their ego. And because the dark side of your story, the villains, have rejected their souls, the pawns feel safer and more familiar being or supporting or being their pawns and supporting their cause. So quite often they join the bad guys and you have more, more head count against you, more bodies against you. Because you're the main character, your life is not gonna be easy. It's your story, it's your life. So you will have a number of obstacles to overcome that no regular person 
could even dream exist. So when you finally open up and tell somebody, it's either they're one of the gang stalkers who are your enemy's henchmen, who will deny your reality and gaslight you, or it could be a non-sentient being upon who will not even understand nor would they care. Anyways, they can't relate to you. So that when you understand that now, the literal purpose of the rest of your life is to find the other benevolent sentient beings who have not denied their reality, who, who embrace who they are, embrace the souls they were given and the purpose they were given. The point of life is to find their tribe, but the point of me saying so, you have sentient beings and you have non-sentient beings, so you have the pawns or the soulless ones. The soulless ones or the mindless automatons. Because really and truly, yes, I said pawns because life is like a chessboard. Who said these words? The world is a stage and we are but players. Is it was it not Hamlet and Horatio or one of another one of Shakespeare's characters who said those words? The world is a stage and we are but players. This whole entire prison colony they call Earth is a miserable mud ball of a chessboard and you have the king, the queen who protects the heart of her king, the pawns who serve either side, the jester who entertains them all, and then you have the opposite, the antagonist. Right? And who would that be? Anybody who wants to kick you off your throne. Could be a bishop, could be a knight, could be a pawn. Well, there is only one king. Anybody else is counterfeit. Which brings me to my point now as to why I use the solipsistic theory as an example to differentiate organic souls from inorganic souls. Everyone doesn't have a sentient soul, literally. So that solipsistic theory, though just a theory, has some merit to it. And how is it that some people born without sentient souls? How are some people born empty meat suits, as they call them, in the healing from narcissistic abuse community on YouTube? They call them empty meat suits. And really, they're empty meat suits. They have no souls. They're a bag of bones and all they have is their ego. So the book of Genesis describes the Nephilim giants as being a race of humanoid subspecies born from the fallen angel who impregnated the daughters of man. The fallen angels fell from grace. They're not sexual beings. Mortals are sexual beings, right? So the first rule they broke is by engaging in sexual acts with mere mortals as a non-sexual being. The fallen angels are not sexual beings, but they're so perverted that they want to experience what we experience. They want to experience the vulnerabilities of being a mortal, a mere mortal. They want to experience what it feels like to be tired to be vulnerable, to be hungry, to be cold, to be sleepy, to be horny, 
to be all of these humanistic things. They want to experience mortal vulnerabilities because in their in their in their lack of a body and spirits, they have none. They have no contrast. Remember, I told you, we're here to overcome natural challenges. The problem is not natural challenge. The problem is true evil. We were never supposed to encounter true evil, but we did regardless. So, the point is to overcome natural challenges. That's the point of us being in the body. Overcome natural challenges, express our love for members of the opposite gender in a sexual manner by being sexual beings and thus reproducing new life as a result of our sexual expressions to members of the opposite gender. Hence why many people are opposed to LGBT because how can you naturally, how can how can two members of the same gender naturally conceive a child? They can't. They have to use test tube babies and all these things. They have to donate their specimen to a bank that will actually grow the embryo in a test tube. The lesbians can connect, can um, collect rather male specimen from a sperm bank and two homosexuals would have to donate their male specimen to a sperm bank for a surrogate mother to be paid to carry their child. But they cannot naturally conceive a child together because they're of the same gender, even with magnets. Even if you play with, even if you play with magnets, you realize opposite sides do attract. The same sides don't attract, but opposite sides do. So, our duty as mortals, as vulnerable mortals, is to produce new life and multiply by expressing our love for members of the opposite gender in a sexual manner, a reproductive manner, a biological manner filled with hormones and lust and all those things. Nothing wrong with that. That's the way it's supposed to be. The problem is, well, before we get to that, and also as well, we're supposed to hunt and protect our families, provide, the men provide food, clothes and shelter and protect our families from the storm, the cold, the, the elements and all these things. Which by the way, sidebar, I keep saying cold. It's coughing season, it's October. Guess what? Many people love this time of year. They love the cold, you know why? We evolved from human evolution to seek comfort from the cold. And it makes us all warm and fuzzy inside to be indoors from the cold. That's why most of the pagan holidays played out during the winter solstice. Have you noticed that? From the Feast of Saturnalia to the Feast of Lupercalia, which is not necessarily a solstice feast, but it's more like Valentine's Day. All of those pagan feasts take place either in the winter and majority of them take place around the solstice. Because we evolved that way. Naturally, to kind of crave the sheltering from the cold, from even way back during our hunter-gatherer days, during the Ice Age, to seek shelter from the cold or from rainstorm or from nighttime, the terrors of the darkness of being outside during the nighttime. 
we seek light light and warmth and community togetherness and under those conditions do you find it natural for man and woman to actually procreate and conceive a child and express their sexual love for each other hence why many people are born in the month of September or October go to any classroom go to any classroom in in any country in the world when we were growing up in the 90s you have this nursery rhyme or this game called those who are born in blank month skip around those who are born in January skip around <laughs> those who are born in January skip around and then the next stanza now goes to February those who are born in February skip around those who are born in March skip around those who are born in July skip around and by the time we get to September, those who born September skip around. This is September. It's a bad time then be September. Everybody, the whole class skip around. <laughs> Everybody born September. Why? Why is that? It's coughing season. It's October. It's winter. It's between now and next year, February. There's going to be lots of conceptions taking place because of our natural human craving to procreate when it's cold and dark. And we're supposed to be hibernating and squirrels and deer and and cougars are all hibernating and grizzly bears are all hibernating in november to february and the human being is the only species who are on the train at five o'clock in the morning going to their jobs in these jackets in the middle of freaking winter the only species you're, you're in Manhattan on the four train, <laughs> going to your job. You have the North Face jacket on. It's early in the morning. It's not even fucking sunrise yet. You haven't, had, haven't even had breakfast yet. And you're already out making money to make other people rich to put their kids through college. And you live in a crummy Brooklyn apartment you can hardly even afford. Does that sound like it makes sense to you? Because to me, it sounds like a damn scam. It sounds like a scam to me. So sidebar, yes, this is coughing season. This is the time for conception, for, for sex, for procreation, for hibernation. And we evolved that way from many eons ago during the hunter-gatherer age when we had to hide in caves and seek shelter from the rain, the cold, and from nighttime the dark but there are some exception to the rule some people prefer morning sex it is what it is it is what it is we have to respect that people are different you know but anyhow we were meant to endure natural challenges the men were meant to hunt the women were meant to gather the women and children were meant to gather so the men are meant to provide food, clothes, and shelter. And nowadays in the modern world, transportation. Back in the 1890s, if you don't have a horse and buggy, you're not saying much. Nowadays, you don't have a Honda Civic, you're not saying much. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, nowadays, transportation is also important as well. But before now, it was food, clothes, and shelter. 
the women, the women, uh, they stay home, they cook, they clean, they nurse their babies, they're barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen making you a sandwich and fetching you a beer, and they're the gatherers, and it, it evolved that way. And feminism goes against natural human evolution because of that. I would like to welcome, who is this? Light Bright. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Feminism goes against natural human evolution. If you ask me, I think that patriarchal chauvinism more closely resembles human evolution than feminism. But I digress. The human being were here to endure natural challenges. And then true evil came along when Eve, the first woman, ate the forbidden fruit and gained knowledge of good and evil that we had no business tampering with. Everything was provided for us. Everything. They were in want for nothing, so they had no reason to have knowledge of anything outside of their natural challenges and their natural habitat. They were supposed to be vulnerable. They were supposed to know who they are through their creator and not through their own ego. When they ate the forbidden fruit, they became wise unto their own selves. And that was the introduction to true evil. And so now we have two things to battle, to battle or to contend with. We have natural challenges of survival, and then we have true evil. Fallen angels envy us for that because without the contrast, they can appreciate the good because there's no bad to contrast it with. So they're envious of humanity. They're also envious of the way we enjoy sex. Sex is lovely, isn't it? Beautiful, lovely, passionate experience. It's not just about doing perverted things and playing with each other's genitals. It's about the connection, the love, the warmth, the intimacy, the, the closeness. Enjoying sharing your most intimate, vulnerable moments with hopefully, hopefully, a pleasant person. Because the magic doesn't happen if you're with a nasty person. It has to be a decent, pleasant person. So the fallen angels envy humanity for us being able to appreciate the good in this life for us overcoming obstacles and having the bad to come to compare and contrast the good with thus being able to appreciate it more. It's because we are tired that we no sleep. It's because we are hungry that we know food. It's because we are thirsty that we know drink. It's because we are horny that we know of the wonders of physical connection. It's because we have all these human frailties. They may appear to be flaws on the surface, but dig deeper and they're not flaws. They are supposed to be that way. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be vulnerable. We're supposed to have needs. Many of us chose to come to earth because we were born 
of living the rest of eternity in the vast nothingness of nothingness of nothingness for all of time and space for all of eternity. And we're so bored and so jaded that we chose to come to earth to endure natural challenges. Sucks that we came to earth in this time period where there is not only not, not, not only is there natural challenges, but there's also true evil here as well. We have come to an extremely extraordinarily challenging time to be on this earth. Where people are more crazier and they have become more totalitarian and more authoritarian in their approach as was evident three years ago during the COVID pandemic. But as long as we get to experience the contrast of us being vulnerable and experiencing challenges, that's all that matters. Now our existence can finally have some meaning for us dwelling in a realm of contrast. We can derive meaning from that, meaning from surviving, meaning from overcoming the contrast, the, the challenges rather, and appreciating the good for having survived the bad. Our lives now have meaning. The fallen angels envy that. They're not sexual beings. They're spirits. They don't reproduce and procreate. Yes, they have the functionality, but they shouldn't have the drive because that's not their design. But because they're envious of our experience, as difficult as it may be, even just the natural challenges by itself without the true evil is arduous as it is by itself. What is there to envy? Life is not easy in this body, but the sex is worth it, and they know that. So they envy us for it. And they want to do what we do. With their godlike, not godlike, I take it back, with their demi powers, their limited godlike powers, their demigod powers. They want to have their cake and eat it too. They don't want to be vulnerable and frail like us. And they also don't want to live without our experiences either. They want to have their cake and eat it too. And that's what they did. They saw the daughters of man. They saw how luscious and beautiful they are. How innocent and giggly and playful they are. And they fell to earth and they slept with the daughters of man. And the daughters of man became pregnant with Nephilim giants and soon gave birth to them. And then you now have a race of inorganic souls called the Nephilim giants. You are unnatural. You're not supposed to be here. But yet you are because your fathers were disobedient. And your mothers didn't know any better. So you are now soulless. You have only your ego. You're not sentient beings like your mother, or even for that matter, even your fathers are sentient beings. They have real souls, you don't. You have a crossbreed. You don't belong here. So when the Nephilim giants die, their souls are stuck in limbo. They have no afterlife to go to for they never came from there in the first place. And in their freakishly unnatural state, they have no choice but to linger around in limbo 
So they're stuck here in this place called Limbo. It's in the same tangible universe. It's in the Earth realm. They see what we're doing. They follow us around. But even though they're not sentient beings, they have shape-shifting powers. They can mimic the face and voice of the people you thought you knew. And they want to play a mean, cruel trick on you because they envy you now. So their fathers envy their experience and now they envy your experience, but they have one more axe to grind. Their fathers were sentient beings. They are not. Not only do they want your experience, the Nephilim Giants also want your very soul. And they can't have it. They will play these cruel, nasty tricks on you, like shapeshifting into the voice of your dead relatives and come to you in a dream or during an OBE to play on the assumption of the emotions you must feel having lost those loved ones. To play on those emotions, manipulate you, manipulate your vulnerabilities and your frailties. Manipulating your craving just to connect with that dead relative or loved one. One more time. To manipulate with that craving, that need to connect, that yearning. One more time. That's how wicked they are. That's what you call true evil. And so I have a theory now that if you truly didn't see your dead relatives in the afterlife, you saw the souls of the Nephilim giants who are not sentient beings. They are mindless automatons. They are pawns. And they're shapeshifters and they're imposters. They're impersonating your loved ones. And they're playing on your emotions and you're yearning to reconnect with them. And if you ever have an OBE, be very cautious in who you talk to. Even if you dream them, people have this cultural belief that I want to win the lottery, I want to play number 3, 5 and 10 and I hope that uncle so and so come and appear to me in my dreams and give me the winning lottery number. But what if it's a Nephilim giant or another pawn appearing to you in your dreams and they want to lead you astray and they give you the opposite of the winning number even if they knew the winning number they give you the opposite and lead you astray and the thing to do is to earn an honest living you don't have to work for people in this day and age i believe that that's coming to an end but at least earn an honest living some way somehow because you want the easy way out they know that they're backing on it and they're just gonna take you for a ride and frustrate you. You have limited time to live in this body and limited time to maintain this body for as long as you need to live in it. And so therefore you feel frustration, you feel impatience, and the more somebody jerks you around is the more intense those feelings become. And they love getting off and playing playing around with you because they envy you. They wish they had your soul. They wish they could feel what you feel. They understand it in concept, but they don't. They, they've never experienced it, so they they don't really know. But they know it must be good. 
and they're missing out they feel formal so they know they're missing out they think you're teasing them so they want to tease you now it's like for example your understanding of sex when you were a virgin people who have had it will tell you dude you're missing out bro it's awesome bro it's awesome you're missing out it's good right now for most people when they lose their virginity or when they become initiated they realize it's it's not all it's cracked up to be it's it's really not it's a beautiful experience but it's not everything after a while they realize that but for as long as they've never experienced it and people are hyping it up and it becomes overrated they're making you feel jealous and they're making you feel formal over something that's overrated but you don't you, you've never experienced it as a virgin but you know what it is you know what it does and you know what it must feel like it feels good and you can only imagine what it must feel like having never experienced it yourself but imagine the soulless ones the pawns the nephilim giants the sons of the disobedient fallen angels imagine them only having a concept as to what something feels like but they have never lived through it themselves and because their hearts are evil and they have no soul and no conscience what would stop them from doing the most sadistic things to hurt you to make you squirm they figure if they can't enjoy having a soul they can enjoy torturing your soul making your soul full experience a living hell and because all they have left is their ego that's the only thing that will tickle them have you ever had a group of so-called friends more like frenemies if you ask me who they don't laugh when you're funny on purpose they laugh when you're quote unquote funny by accident and that usually involves a snafu or some other kind of misadventure it usually involves you being embarrassed or humiliated but they never laugh when you're trying to be funny on purpose same thing they only get tickled when you are humiliated or embarrassed never when you're in your element being happy that's not fun to them that actually burns them up inside because they're full of envy they're full of hatred hatred disgust bitterness resentment because you have a soul they don't even though it's not their fault it's not your fault either who told them who told their fathers to go and mess with the daughters of man who told their fathers their fathers are disobedient now they're here suffering because of it the only thing they inherited were the envy of their fathers the fallen angels the demigods they were supposed to watch over humanity they weren't supposed to take advantage of the naivety the obvious naivety of the daughters of man who were still very young and still very new to this plane of existence in the first place and were none the wiser they were supposed to be the guardians they were placed to be the guardians they weren't supposed to come and take advantage and create artificial life out of an act of disobedience 
and all their, their their offsprings are here suffering because of that and trying to make us suffer because of that. Torturing the human experience because of that. It's already hard enough being human as it is. They want to make it worse now. More intense. As if us simply being in this flesh was not hard enough as it is. They want to make it worse. Not complaining about it, I'm just saying. When they were not supposed to be here, so therefore when they die, they have nowhere to go. And if my solipsistic theory is accurate, well, now you know where the pawns come from. Because there's still descendants of Nephilim giants who are alive today. Although they're no longer giants in body, nor in spirit, they are giants in the artificial social status of this world. So they are in positions of authority. They are like presidents and policemen and they are news reporters but in the mainstream media. They're not they're not doing what we do. They're in the mainstream media. And they hold up the lie, they hold up the system. They give you false hope. But and they have no problem doing so because they're soulless. And when you call them on their bullshit, they give you blank stares because they don't understand your what you're experiencing, they can't understand. Even if they wanted to, they can't understand it. So they give you blank stares. They want to. They want. They want to make you feel misunderstood to silence you, on purpose. Plus, they also can't understand. Truly, can't understand either. So it's both, both at once. They use it to their advantage because they can't feel what you feel. When they make you uncomfortable, they can't feel what you feel. They wish they could feel what you feel. They wish. And the way they see it, you're lucky. You can feel what you feel and we can't. What are you complaining about? You're lucky. You should be glad that we're here to make you feel feelings to your soul. We wish we could feel what you feel. So they have no conscience and therefore no problem hurting you because they can't relate. Because they're not human. Everybody is not human. They're still descendants of the Nephilim giants walking around this world today. And they have no sense of direction, no aim, no purpose, and no conscience. Because they're not sentient beings. They have no soul. They only have their ego to stroke. And with the ego come feelings of jealousy, envy, and all these low vibrational feelings. Fear. So they do feel fear, but they don't feel... And they feel anxiety, and they feel envy, but they don't feel... Love, or the higher vibrations that we feel as well. So even though they're in the flesh, they still can appreciate the contrast of good and bad, like what we do, to give us purpose and direction. They can't do that either, even though they are in the flesh, they, because they can only feel low vibrational vib um, feelings. They can't feel the love and the, the higher vibing feelings. They can't feel that. They're numb to that. They're numb. So now they really envy us. So if they can encounter you during an OBE or in a dream or whatever it is, they will lead you astray, they'll mess you up. They'll sabotage you. They will encourage you to self-sabotage so they could laugh at you when you fail. So they could laugh at you when you fail, so they could mock you when you fail. So be very wary of anybody who you encounter. 
during an OBE because I'm truly of the view that any sentient being, once they die, they go to the afterlife and they go to rest. And they're not drifting around looking for trouble. They're truly at rest in Sheol, waiting for the rapture. I really believe that. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in the Christian Bible or what have you. But there's some things in the Bible that make sense that I happen to agree with and happens to be one of them. Your dead loved ones, even though you yearn to reconnect with them, they're really gone. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. They are gone. They're dead. They're resting in the afterlife, in Sheol, in whatever it is. They're waiting for the rapture. You will reunite and reconnect during the rapture. Not now. Not during an OBE. And you just have to wait for the rapture or for whenever you cross over yourself and I know it sucks spending the rest of your life without someone you care for but maybe it's meant to be that way maybe it's unnatural for them to be around during a certain leg of your journey and it will become more obvious to you the more time it is that they the more time it's been since they passed away when it reaches the 10 year mark, the 15 year mark, 20 year mark, you will realize for yourself how unnatural it would be if they were still around. They might be able to, they might have held you back, you wouldn't be able to go places. Not that they intended to, but the, you wouldn't be able to go places. New seasons open up in your life because the old things pass away, the old people pass away. You even have this thing called spring cleaning where you clean out your closet and throw out the old clothes for the summer. You throw out your old battle-worn winter clothes for the summer. And that could be metaphorical or physical or literal. The same is true with people too. They can't follow you on a certain leg of your journey. They pass away. They die. It hurts, but you move on and you find you could move faster without them. Anyways, not that they intended to slow it down in the first place. Just so happens that it would be very unnatural for them to be alive during that season of your life. And when they have been long dead for 20 years, you will look back and realize, you know what, you're right. A, it would be bizarrely unnatural for them to still be alive now. And B, the, even if it didn't feel that way and I could bring them back, say for example, with Raza, who's Lazarus picked from DC Comics, Say, for example, if I could bring them back that way, they would hate me for pulling them out of a very euphoric, warm, fuzzy place filled with love and no judgment or prejudice and bring them back to this miserable world the same way you felt when the doctors pumped epinephrine into your heart and brought you back. Like, for example, at the beginning of this episode, the way I describe it, the same way you have a raw, rude awakening and everything is ultra-sensitive. All your senses are ultra-sensitive and ultra-amplified. and So everything is ultra-sensitive and high-pitched and all your senses are have heightened levels of sensitivity. Not in a way that is invigorating, but in a way that is annoying really 
And the same way you, in that immediate moment before you come to your senses, you hate your doctors for bringing you back to the living. They took you from this warm, fuzzy place and brought you back to the living. And everything hurt at first. The same way that that is so, is the same exact way they will feed and they'll hate you for bringing them back if you could anyways. So listen to me. In a very impartial way, with all feelings involved, I have to be impartial. I am a journalist. Listen to me. When you look back after a few years, you will realize for yourself how unnatural it would be for some of your long dead loved ones to be alive during a certain advanced season of your life. Could you picture your sick grandfather around you still now in this time of your life? Could you? You would love to have him here and not to be sick either, but to be strong. You would love to have him here, but if it wasn't meant to be, it's not going to be. And would you, can you see, can you imagine him naturally fitting into that part of your life? Not what you want, but, but what is natural, what feels right to you. Not what you want, but what feels right to you. Can you imagine that loved one naturally fitting in to this advanced season in your life story? Because for me, the answer is no, because I miss my grandfather. He's been gone nearly 20 years now. I miss him, but it doesn't feel right that he'll still be around now. He wasn't supposed to be. I graduated from high school and left the island within about two, three years after he died. I can't really see him being alive now. His widow is, might still be alive. I don't know. She might still be alive. I know she was as late as three years ago, but she was meant to outlive him. And when it's her turn, she will follow him into the afterlife. And then the, the remaining seasons of their lives, you know, after she dies, it will hurt at first, but as time goes by and you, it becomes more normalized to you. The rest of their life journey without her will feel unnatural without with if she was still there. They they couldn't imagine her still being there during that leg of the journey. Even if that's what they wanted. It just wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't feel in place. It would feel out of place. Very out of place. Let me give you another example because I keep saying them and they. I'm not saying me. So if you're not, if you're new to the program, you don't know what's going on. I am no contact for my toxic ex-relatives. I haven't spoken to them in three years. Right? So let me give you another example based on that now. I personally cannot imagine them being in my life for this season. It feels unnatural. The only difference is that what feels right is not a mismatch for what I want. It is a perfect match, not a mismatch. That's the only difference. Apart from that, the principles are all the same. I cannot imagine any of them being in my life now still. Recently, I looked at pictures from when I was a kid growing up in Harborview and I realized that 
in the background the house wasn't very really wasn't kept kept very well you know it wasn't it wasn't well kept my house is well kept if i go home right now i can i don't have to do anything i can just open the fridge and take out food and jump in the bed without making it first everything is intact and it wasn't always that way at all and it made me realize how much i've changed without them for the better of course how much i've changed for the better without them because in my earlier life, I was growing up to becoming just like them too. I was also sloppy too. I wasn't keeping my house either. I mean, I was always neat, but I wouldn't always be on top of everything all the time. Sometimes I'd falter. No, I'm not. I find the time and I make the time to do, to keep the house and keep up my lifestyle properly. I have to live there. So I better like it. I better make sure I like being there because I have to live there. So I realized how much I've changed without them for the better. And I cannot imagine having them around me now. That would be like taking 20 steps backward. And all these three years of work, or seven if you want to consider the day I first arrived in Los Angeles, three, seven, whatever it is, all of those three or seven years of work would be erased in 15 minutes as I would take 20 steps backward. They are not supposed to be there. I am a different person. I take care of house. I do, as a bachelor, I do very good housekeeping. You would swear that my woman visit the house or live there every day. You would swear she live there every day. That's how kept, that's how well kept the house is as a bachelor. So whenever she visits, she's always impressed. She asks me if I have another woman already living there full time. And the answer is no. For the most part, I live by myself. But as a bachelor, I keep the house very, very well. I clean the fridge, I clean the kitchen, I mop the floor, I take out the trash, I make the bed, I do all those things. So, my house is a place of, it's a, it's a clean sanctuary, a neat sanctuary. And cleanliness is next to godliness. So I know God is in my house, keeping me safe. And that's all you have to do sometimes. That's all you have to do. But I realize I'm a different person than I was living among them. I always was, but now it's more obvious to me. And I can't imagine them being in this season of my life. The only difference is that what feels right to me is not mismatched with what I want. They are a perfect match, a very rare perfect match. But my point is, different seasons require different, I guess, um, different instruments, different tools, different, you know, wardrobe, different everything. There's a season to fast and a season to feast, a season of faith testing and a season of restoration. 
the elderly shall pass away but new babies are born and whenever it's spring you do your spring cleaning and you throw out your battle worn winter jacket and you make room for your spring attire and people change out their closets every season but if you really really like a shirt you probably save it right because the day will come when your spirit will no longer reject out of season clothes and that's when you become nostalgic and that usually takes years it takes giving yourself a well-deserved break away from the mundane of whatever feels old to your spirit but always obey your spirit always we take a break right here and when we come back we will be Getting into the conclusion of this podcast, and I hope you'll join me then. Keep it locked on Frank and Upfront. Welcome back to Frank and Upfront Live on Audio Fire for Audio Files. This week's topic What is an out of body experience? In previous segments, we talk about the theory of um, of living in a solipsistic universe, and even if we don't, we talk about even if we don't, we still have a, a lot of non-sentient beings around us, people who are soulless. There are a lot of soulless people walking around, even in the living. They're dead inside, and if they're dead inside when they're alive in these bodies, still. Then imagine when they die. They were also shapeshifters and imposters with nothing to nothing better to do with the rest of eternity. And so, as such, they approach people, people who are heartbroken from the death of a loved one, and they appeal to their innermost desires to reconnect or re rekindle. Reunite, reunite with their with their lost loved one, and they're laughing inside because they really believe it. You want to reconnect so badly that you fall for these scams, and you really believe that it's really your dead loved one. No, it is a pawn. I also said that modern day pawns were dead inside are descendants of the ancient Nephilim giants, spoken of or referenced in the Book of Genesis. They were able to get get you to drop your guard long enough so they could sell you the scam, appeal to your innermost weakness and vulnerability, sell you the scam long enough to get a good laugh out of your your your, your intense yearning to reconnect with a long lost loved one for no other reason or incentive than their sick sense of humor, just to get you off, just just to get off at your pain because they're sadistic. Because if they have no soul, if they're dead inside and they have no soul, what else is keeping their bodies alive when they were alive, if not their own ego? And the ego can be quite quite cruel and sadistic and full of envy, which is why all they could feel in the flesh were the most low vibrational emotions, which is why in life, they were always so negative and negatively charged and always miserable. That's why. 
and they try to make us the same way too and we can't let them win we gotta realize what the game is and fight against it so in death now they bring the same mentality into death because they truly haven't learned their lesson because they can't it takes having a soul and having emotions to be willing to take your experience and change your life anybody who can't do that has no inner voice no inner heart and therefore they can't learn from their mistakes they're doomed to repeat the same mistakes time and again the definition of insanity they're truly insane but they can't even be insane in the sense where they can't even feel it feel what it feels like to be insane for they have no souls they listen they have no souls how could they have insanity if they never had sanity it's not insanity that they have though it may seem that way it is the the lack of a conscience that they never had from from day one to begin with another theory i have is that maybe people having an obe did encounter the soul of their long lost loved one but they never went fully into the afterlife they met them halfway at the halfway mark at a mile marker in limbo they went to limbo met them there and likewise the, the deceased loved one who has been long dead went to limbo to meet them there as well and they met they met each other halfway because because and you know it has to be that way because they know they both understand that a their deceased loved one can't come to this world and be if they go to that person's world they can't come back so those who did come back never went full away they went halfway they, they they got the lesson they were supposed to learn they got the encouragement they got the love the euphoria they had a better grasp a clearer understanding of their purpose and with a clearer sense of direction they were able to come back into the living and they they, they embraced that it's not their time yet and they know they have a purpose and now they have something to pursue to go after in the fulfillment of that purpose so many people who claim to have had OBEs came back from the dead quote unquote the dead with newfound knowledge they never had before that could have never been taught to them by imposters they would never want to give you knowledge to put you on the right path ever so whatever knowledge you gain came from some place some 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 kind of a loving source whatever it is you learn could have been literally god himself or it could have been one of your guides you do have destiny helpers and spirit guides so maybe but then again they wouldn't really impersonate your loved ones to scam you that's the trick of the enemy they wouldn't do that they're not the enemy you will know them by their fruit the enemy has dirty tricks that's his fruit the fruit of your destiny helpers is not to trick you it's to help you so if you felt euphoria and you swore you saw your relatives you maybe did your loved ones you maybe did see them you know how you know whether you saw your loved ones or an imposter what they said and how they said and how much they said 
because if your loved one you saw them they kept smiling and they didn't really say much they didn't really say much they would have a lot to say wouldn't they they didn't really say much only glad for you take care of yourself that's not your loved one that that kind of thing has frenemy vibes to it if you ask me that's a frenemy an imposter so that's how you know if you feel better love on euphoria and you guys talk about everything and then they send you back and and give you a, a powerful lesson to give you a clearer sense of direction to change your path for the rest of life that's probably them and they probably met them halfway didn't even know where you were you met them halfway in in, in limbo but if you if when you met them they were cold detached didn't really say much they don't they don't really that person doesn't care about you even if it's them they don't care about you even if it's them they probably never really liked you in life anyways and they don't like you in death either and for whatever reason they were supposed to just go and meet you there or whatever it is and try to either push you back into life or whatever it is either or but that's just a, that's just a side theory what i'm really we are really going with this is that um If they're not really saying too much, it's not them. That's where you know it's an imposter. That's your imposter right there. It's not them. So if you haven't had an OBE yet, you, you and you might at some point in life, at least you now know the red flags to look out for to be able to ascertain whether or not the person, the entity you're talking to, is a uh, an imposter. But whatever it is, however, the whole point of you having an out-of-body experience is to renew your life path and your sense of direction to set you on the right path. It's like a reset of sorts, you know. Sometimes. You got to park the car. You got to do some maintenance. Right? You have got to do some maintenance. So you park the car for a day or so, you maintain it, you let it rest, and the next time you drive it is it's good again. It's really powerful. It feels like a brand new car this time. It feels like a brand brand new car. The same thing with your your vehicle that you need to traverse this life, your body. Your experience trauma that's intense enough to kick you out of the body for a while, to kick you out of your own body for a while. So it could rest and reset. You have these things called medically induced comas to release swelling on the brain or heart pressure or whatever it is so your traumatized body can actually rest and heal and recover and while your body is recovering so is your mind so is your soul It's recovering, it's resetting, 
and is getting ready for the restoration period. When you return to your body and you wake up, you're in your body again, you're in this world again. And you remember the trip you had during your OBE and you have a clear and renewed sense of direction. You know, really and truly, if we're not dealing with impostors or pawns or whatever it is, you know, the, the soulless ones, if you, if it's not them behind it, and it's really your loved ones you saw, but they are at rest, therefore it couldn't have been them, then what you had was a dream. At the end of the day, it really was a dream. Whether or not it was caused by the drugs that you were on, the medically inducing coma drug, whatever it is, whatever you're on, whatever it is, whether or not it was caused by the drugs or something else or whatever it is, bottom line, it was all a dream. It wasn't astral projection. Do not confuse astral projection with regular dreams. Astral projection, I feel, can only take place in lucid dreaming, but not regular dreams. Just because it's a dream doesn't mean it's just a dream. No. There is still an act of divine intervention even through that dream. Because God allowed you to have the dream about your dead relatives, knowing how meaningful the word will be coming from them. So whether it's God, whether it's your spirit guides, your destiny helpers, whatever it is, they allowed you to have that dream during your coma or other kind of trauma. So you think it's an OBE, but do not confuse having a dream with having an astral projection. They're two different things. Your soul really didn't leave your body in this scenario. Your soul didn't leave your body. You were having a dream, but it was still nonetheless an act of divine intervention operating through your dream. So it's not just a dream. And therefore, your deceased loved ones you saw is not really them either, but it's not the imposters either. It's nobody. No, no form of spiritual entity. It's just dream imagery. It's dream imagery without any spiritual visitations. Whether or not they're sentient beings. It's just dream imagery. But it's still the power of God working through your dreams nonetheless. Using your own imagination to give you a clearer sense of direction based on what you already know internally, just like a mushroom trip. So when you wake up and you reset and you're in your restoration season, you already have a clearer sense of direction based on that dream. Either way, whether you were visited by their spirits, the spirits of your loved ones, I mean, or you had dream image of them based on your imagination, but not their actual ghastly visitation, whatever it is, 
you now have a clearer sense of direction for the rest of your life. You know your purpose. They say the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Well, quite often, people who astral project, that is the day they find out why, as they're given a more clearer sense of direction in which to live out the rest of their lives. Everyone will not have an out-of-body experience. Some will, others won't. People who need it will have it. People who don't need it, you know where you're going, you probably won't have it. You might still have it. You might need closure, especially if someone passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, and you want to see them again. Their spirit is at rest in the in the afterlife, so it's, it's not them really. It's just a dream imagery of them, but it's not them. And it's also not the imposters either. You're just having a dream, a regular dream. But you might need that closure and you think you're having an out-of-body experience. It feels real. It feels vivid. It feels like you're having an out-of-body experience. But it's just a dream. And while you're sick, while you're traumatized going through that coma, being comatose, you needed that closure to clear blockages in your heart chakra, to release the trauma of losing that person, that nothing will interrupt your happiness and your purpose for the rest of your life. And that right there is the true functionality, the purpose of an out of body experience next week's topic how cursed objects tend to attract paranormal activities do join me then i am frank franklin and this has been frank and upfront mm-hmm.